everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's nice to be with you today. It's great to be with you. We have a very special guest today with a very special story to tell. Elizabeth Leon is an author, ministry leader, and mother. When she was pregnant with her seventh child, she was told that her preborn son, John Paul Raphael, most likely would have trisomy 18. If born alive, he might live for just a short time. In her book, Let Yourself Be Loved, Big Lessons from a Little Life, Elizabeth shares very vulnerably how she and her husband, Ralph, leaned heavily on one another and their deep faith during this difficult time. Her story is one that is sure to inspire everyone, especially other parents who may be traveling a similar path. In addition, Maria will talk about the importance of protecting pregnancy resource centers. But first, we'll have some pro-life inspiration. And I'd like to read a story that recently appeared on Live Action's website, and it happens to be about a teen from Pennsylvania. The title of the article is Teen Adopted with Spina Bifida Finds a Successful Path in Sports, and it was written by Cassie Fiano Chesser. A teenager with spina bifida who was adopted as a child from China is thriving as he forges a new path in sports showing the world he is not limited by his disability. Ryan Wolf grew up playing soccer and basketball, but always had a passion for football. And now as the team manager for Eastern Lebanon County or Elko High School in Pennsylvania, he's able to fulfill that passion, but it hasn't been an easy journey. In an interview with Lancaster Online, Wolf and his family shared his remarkable story which started with Ryan's adoption from China in 2012. Justin and Kelly Wolf had three biological daughters before they sought out international adoption, adopting five boys from China. One of their children, Brian, was adopted domestically, but his mother was from China as well. She is terminal with cancer, Justin Wolf explained. She wanted to find him a good home. During their adoption journey, they kept encountering Ryan. We wondered why he wasn't adopted, Justin said. Why hasn't anyone given him a family? Well, because he was waiting for us. Once we realized what his special needs were, that's all the stuff we'd need. We'd be more than capable of handling. At seven, Ryan was adopted, and the Wolves worked closely with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to treat his spina bifida. He also had scoliosis and spoke no English. We made up a lot of sign language, Justin explained. We tried to learn some phrases. Most of it was symbols for eating or going to the bathroom. But within a couple of months, he picked up English so fast it was crazy. Ryan has undergone over 20 surgeries, including placing rods into his spine to help straighten it and separate his ribs so his lungs could grow as he grew. And though he's also paralyzed in his right leg below the knee, he kept playing sports as much as he could. Playing basketball, I would break the rods in my back and I'd have to get surgery again. I've broken my rods so many times, Ryan said. There's not anything I can't do because I will adapt to do it. 
Football, however, was not something he could play because of the physical contact. So he found a different way to be part of the team. Football is the one sport I've always wanted to play, he said, adding that he's still grateful even though he can't. With my disability, a lot of kids are in wheelchairs and not able to do anything. I'm lucky. Now he helps motivate the team in addition to his duties as the team manager. When you feel like you can't do much and your body is wearing you down, you look at Ryan, Elko football player, Carter Kemper said, you know the pain he goes through, it just pushes you further. Ryan also helped to support his dad as he underwent chemotherapy for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Ryan's resiliency is a testimony to us all. Justin said, we've all encountered different trials in life, seeing all the stuff he's gone through with the adoption process. He's an orphan child. He always has a smile on his face. When they're having a bad day, Ryan will say, yeah, at least you didn't have 21 surgeries. And as the oldest of the five adopted boys, Ryan has served as a role model for them. His brothers look up to him, Justin said. He is one of those guys who would give his shirt off his back for a friend or a stranger. He won't ever admit it, but he'll do that with his siblings. Ryan has added so much to our lives. He has done more for us than we could ever do for him. Again, that's an article by Cassie Fiano Chesser that appeared on Live Action's website. And I absolutely just love the message of, of embracing life and facing challenges and, and finding that resilience deep within us. I hope you found it inspirational as well. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational story. It is more important than ever to support our pregnancy resource centers. These centers offer non-judgmental counseling and support for pregnant women and their babies. Nearly 100 of the centers receive state assistance through the award-winning Real Alternatives, Inc. Pennsylvania's Pregnancy and Parenting Support Program has become a model for the rest of the nation. The program, which has served more than 300,000 women throughout its history, offers everything from diapers to daycare referrals and from maternity clothes to mentoring. Some offer parenting classes and life skill classes to assist new mothers and fathers on their parenting journeys. It is crucial that you contact your state representative and state senator and let them know that you support funding for this magnificent program, which is saving lives and helping families every single day. If you do not know who your state lawmakers are, or if you need contact information, please contact us through our website at paprolife.org. Working together, we can preserve and strengthen our pregnancy care centers, which are so vital for the well-being of pregnant women throughout Pennsylvania. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, I am delighted to introduce today's guest. Elizabeth Leon is a Catholic speaker and writer from Ashburn, Virginia. She is the author of Let Yourself Be Loved, Big Lessons from a Little Life. She's been a leader in ministry and faith formation for more than 25 years and is the founder of the Journey of the Beloved, a ministry that inspires and equips women to find freedom and healing through Christ. She also serves as the Director of Family Support for Redbird Ministries, a Catholic grief support ministry for families of child loss. She and her husband, Ralph, are the parents of 10 children, five of hers, four of his, and their son, John Paul Raphael, who died in 2018 from complications of trisomy 18. In her book, Elizabeth cracks open the landscape of grief to reveal a love story. 
She invites readers deeply into her personal journey and invites them to consider grief, uncertainty, and suffering as a pathway to joy. You can find her online at www.elizabethleon.org um, and Let Yourself Be Loved, Big Lessons from a Little Life is available wherever books are sold. I just finished reading it and it is incredible. We're delighted to have Elizabeth join us today to share her profound story. Welcome, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie and Maria. It's such a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it so much. Tell us about your son, John Paul Raphael. Mm, well, I do love talking about him. <laughs> as, you, um, as you referenced in my bio, um, my husband Ralph and I are a blended family. We came together in 2013 after enduring death and divorce individually and in our, our first families. And um, we brought together a big, crazy family. Um, and while we were always open to new life, it wasn't necessarily on our radar because we had nine grieving children and, and life was pretty crazy. But I found myself pregnant in May of 2017 at the age of 45. And we were delighted and tickled and surprised and all those wonderful things that uh, an unexpected late in life pregnancy can bring you. Um, and my husband's a physician and we we really wanted to be very informed about all the potential complications that can come with a, a later pregnancy. And so we did the genetic testing from the perspective of information and we were devastated to find out that we had a 87.7 positive predictive value that he had this condition of trisomy 18, which the medical community always calls incompatible with life, but you know, it was really a misnomer because at the time I received the diagnosis, he was well alive in my womb. So we prefer to call it a life-limiting diagnosis, which really began an intense journey of faith and trust and surrender. Um, you know, to get the news that your child is going to die is devastating. Um, it's overwhelming, it's terrifying, it's so sad. I mean, it's all of those things, it's tragic. Um, but we also were so grateful for just for how much we loved him already. Like our faith really just informed us that he was just such a miraculous gift of, you know, we, we were families that already knew so much of the hardship of life, not wanting or expecting our first families to end. And then to find this beautiful love together, like our son was just such the image of that love embodied. And so we were just so in love with him. But that journey was truly hard. And so we, we went through the uncertainty and the, the human fear, the human unknowing day in and day out with faith, with trust, with surrender, um, and not knowing would he die in my womb? Would he be born still? Would we get the gift of his life alive? I mean, there are so many unknowns with trisomy 18. That's one of the reasons it's such a hard diagnosis. As you both well know, many of these babies are not given the gift of life. So the research numbers are fairly small, but those that are allowed to live often are not born alive. And so that was our number one prayer, that God give us the gift of his life alive. And that informed all of our medical decisions. And that is, in fact, what happened. We got the miracle of his life. I had many complications during the pregnancy and then near the end, but um, my water broke on January 4th early in the morning, which for a variety of reasons was a medical emergency. And he was 
delivered by emergency C-section. And the pictures of that moment show a baby that is lifeless and gray and not moving. And we really feared the worst at that point. And the medical team came and said, can we take him? We said, no. Ralph and I had done the work of surrendering the numbering of John Paul's days to the Lord. And so we wanted those first minutes, even if they were the only minutes we had to be with him. And uh, Ralph reached into our bag and he pulled out a bottle of holy water from Our Lady of Lords and he baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he breathed and he began to cry. And we had the gift of his life. We had 28 hours and 10 minutes before he passed away in our arms. Elizabeth, what made you decide to write your book? Hmm. Well, there was so much that I was able to prepare for during my pregnancy, Um, the mechanics of labor and even the kinds of ways that we were able to memorialize John Paul after his death, but I couldn't prepare for the grief. I didn't know how, what this experience of losing a child would be like for me. And one of the things that I did when I was pregnant, and I knew that this would be something I would have to face, is I read as many other books as I could find from other people of their stories of losing their babies and their children. They've always been a reader, and I really drew strength from how other mothers and fathers made their way through this journey into a world I knew nothing about. And then in the darkness of that grief, I was so surprised by how the intensity of my emotion came out in words. I've been a journaler, but I really felt all of a sudden like these words weren't meant for me alone. And it started a very small and modest blog and began over the course of about a year and a half to just pour my heart out there. And then it was when the third person finally asked me, when are you going to write a book that I thought, oh, maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting me to make this be a a message for a larger community. And I decided just to be obedient and began the process. Well, I have so enjoyed reading this book. It's unlike um, Mm -hmm. any that I've read, just because of your honesty and vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. I think no matter what your life experience is, I mean, everybody understands suffering, um, everybody has trials, and I think you just put into words um, so much of the, the mix of emotions that a person can have in any situation, but especially yours. Um, I wanted to ask you about early in the pregnancy, uh, like a lot of other parents, you were offered the chance to terminate the pregnancy or abort your child based on genetic mm-hmm. testing. So why did you and Ralph choose life? Hmm. Well, our faith informed all of our decision making as both of us were raised Catholic and we've been very involved in our faith. We've chosen to really live the sacraments and to live our Catholic life as richly and fully as we could. So for sure, our desire to be faithful to God was a huge part of it, but we also just already loved him. I mean, being large families, we had lived and embraced the beauty and the challenges of children for a long time already. And we knew that there are no guarantees with our kids. Like they are just a gift, no matter how they are, no matter how long they are with us. And we really wanted to love and embrace the gift of his life, no matter how long we had with him. Um, And that really did inform every step of our decision-making along the way. 
Why is perinatal hospice so important? And maybe you can start by explaining what that is because many people are not aware of it. Sure. So perinatal hospice is, is a growing movement of how to walk with families that have this kind of terminal diagnosis, how to take something that is going to be painful, it is going to be tragic, and it is going to involve so much grief, but how to make it also be beautiful. It's a way of not just education and support, but really an accompaniment of walking with people, showing them ways that this terrible thing can also be really holy, and you can allow it to bring something hopeful and meaningful to your suffering. It doesn't take the suffering away, but it allows it to have some measure of meaning and beauty. So we were really lucky not to just be connected with perinatal hospice, but to also work with a birth and bereavement doula. And she was a woman who was trained in this area and she was able to give us sort of the spiritual and the psycho-emotional support, but also the practical, like she sent us links, like buy these things. You can make footprints, you can make handprints, record his heartbeat, have a photographer. She even suggested creating a playlist that of music that we would associate with the short experience of his life, but then would allow us to carry the heart space of that forward in time. And one of the things she recommended that we did is we found a cologne that we actually bought in Rome that we sprayed everything that was part of John Paul's life with that cologne. The blankets, the clothes, the hospital room on me during our pregnancy so that even now, almost five years later, we still have that cologne. And when we spray it, we are instantly transported back to the time of his life. So that is something that hospice and a birth and bereavement doula can help you expand your awareness of what are my options? How can I advocate for a beautiful, holy delivery of a child that is not going to be here very long? So I can attest to how important a doula can be during the birth process, because I was fortunate Mm -hmm. enough to have one. Mm -hmm. Um, But then was the doula with you during the death as well? or, or, Or did she just prepare you for the death? Or how did that work? So the plan was for her to actually physically be present during my delivery, but for a variety of reasons with the weather, we were in a terrible ice storm and and that wasn't possible. So many bereavement doulas would be present, but we had worked with her closely enough that we felt prepared to just open ourselves to the experience as it was going to be. That's really part of the key that hospice or a bereavement doula can help you be more present during what very likely could be a very short life. So I was not worried about all of the mechanics and what are we gonna do and all of these other things. I could just be there. I mean, we only had 1,690 minutes and I didn't wanna miss one of them with like worrying about something I could have prepared for ahead of time. What advice would you have for a mother who receives a frightening prenatal diagnosis for her baby? Gosh, it's so, so, so hard. It is, it is just such a devastating thing to hear. And I, and I think the first thing I would say is that you are not alone, that there is a whole tribe of women and men and families out there that have walked this journey ahead of you and to connect in with that wherever possible. I mean, there are many resources and 
ministries that are out there for just that purpose. I know you mentioned in my bio, I also work for Redbird Ministries, but we have a whole uh, branch of our ministry work that is specifically helping and advocating for women that are in this position. But also to understand that it, it really makes sense that you're in such an uncertain territory and that grasping for control, whether that's through abortion or through um, TFMR termination for medical reasons, which is, you know, just a, a, another word for a later term abortion, that somehow that control, well, it gives you the impression that you can mitigate some, some of the suffering by choosing that. But the reality is you're, you're not going to. You may postpone it. You may delay the agony of losing your child, but then you may also augment it with guilt or responsibility for that. But if you can make the choice to give your child the gift of life, you don't take away the suffering, but you allow something beautiful and holy to also be part of that suffering. And it really, it opens you to the fullness of grace that the Lord wants to give you in and through the suffering, which is, that is the life of a Catholic, right? Our journeys are suffering and that is the means that the Lord use, uses to impart grace. So I would say, you're not alone, get support. There are people out there, call me. There are people out there we know and we will walk with you and help you find the strength to um, look for something beautiful. How did you heal from your personal experience? Yeah, so, you know, Bonnie mentioned this, like, I don't know if it's a gift or a curse of vulnerability, but I've always been someone that feels emotion very intensely and deeply and often cannot keep it inside. So I would say the first thing was giving voice to what I was truly feeling. I mean, we know our Lord was, was God, but he was also fully human. And so Jesus invites us to be fully human and to feel all of the things that come along with the depth of that humanity. So being very vulnerable and honest about the raw and ugly and overwhelming and angry emotion that grief brings up in you. Like grief is, is such an um, intense bodily, emotional, spiritual experience that I think I gave myself time. I learned to be very radically accepting of what my grief was. And this is something that other people taught me through their example of just asking the question, being curious, this is what grief looks like today. Not putting pressure or timelines on myself or this journey, and then taking it to Jesus over and over and over again and telling him the truth about how bad I felt. But in time, his his healing and his hope do not disappoint. He is so faithful. Elizabeth, I was struck in the book about um, some of the tangible ways that you dealt with the grief as well, like the blue blankie and, mm -hmm. and the little monkey. Mm -hmm. um, talk about what, how objects, and you mentioned the, the sandalwood cologne. Um, yeah. can, can you talk about just why it was important to have tangible things to hold on yes. to? One of the best gifts we had that this came from the birth and bereavement doula was 10 days after John Paul died, she sent us a blanket and a stuffed animal with the words that said something to wrap around you when you need comfort and something to hold when your arms are empty. 
And she just put into words the, the terrible experience of what being a bereaved mother is. So knowing John Paul was going to die, we did not we did not fill a nursery. We bought two things. We bought a little yellow ducky before we knew he was a boy, and then we had a blue blanket. Um, and that blanket just became my lifeline. And he was wrapped in it for the entirety of his short and shining life. Um, luckily, the hospital gave us a beautiful crocheted blanket that someone donated that we were able to wrap him and bury him in so that we could keep his special blue blanket ourselves. But I carried that blanket everywhere I went for over a year. I mean, everywhere, to the grocery store, to the dentist, to church, to school, to meetings. It didn't matter. I needed something to hold onto as a lifeline in my grief. Um, and without that, I'm... I'm not sure where I would have been. And sometimes I judge myself, like, how long are you going to carry this blanket around? <laughs> but you know what? My body knew when it was, when it was time. And I still sleep with it every night. And sometimes it leaves the house with me. But, you know, we are human and we can't over-spiritualize a process like this. Like, you don't want to make it really shiny. And all you have to do is surrender to God and it'll be great. I mean, that is true. But we're also human. And I needed the comfort of that blanket. And then... Monkey, just really briefly, is um, we had learned of the idea of having a weighted comfort animal that was the same weight as your baby. Mm. So you could order these, but there was a long wait, and I didn't, I didn't want a bear. I wanted a monkey. So my husband and I actually went through an extensive process of trying to figure out how to make a stuffed monkey that weighed four pounds and one ounce, just like John Paul's. Um, and it was an incredible comfort. I can still remember the moment my father was one of the lucky few that got to meet and hold John Paul Raphael. And, you know, about a month later, he came to visit and he picked up the monkey. I could just see the look on his face, like remembering the holiness of our son. In the uh, two minutes we have left, or less than two minutes, can you describe John Paul's impact on the rest of your family, your children, your extended family, and your friends? Sure. I mean, we've all, we were all touched by the miracle of his life. I mean, his siblings, um, they just fell in love with him. And I know that his intercession from heaven is having a profound impact on our family. The bigger mission that he left, though, was really the, the title of my book, which is Let Yourself Be Loved. The night before we buried him, I went to our adoration chapel to uh, get inspiration. My husband and I were going to speak at the funeral, but I didn't know what to say. And I begged the Holy Spirit. He brought me that phrase, clear as day, let yourself be loved. John Paul received an outpouring of love on this tiny baby for 28 hours and 10 minutes. And he changed lives. And the invitation was, can we all let ourselves be loved that way? Not just by God, not just by our family, but even by ourselves. So that's really the impact of his life, to let yourself be loved no matter what. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Leon, a speaker, writer, and survivor, author of the book, Let Yourself Be Loved, Big Lessons from a Little Life. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, what a privilege. Thank you for the opportunity to speak and share about John Paul Raphael. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. <laughs>